Hi there, and welcome back to Out There, a crypto podcast. I'm your host, Josh. On the 13th of each month, I come out with a new episode focused on a cryptid that I find super fascinating and weird. And if you still don't know what a cryptid is, it is defined as an animal that has been claimed to exist but never proven to exist. Cryptids don't have to be supernatural and mythical beings, although many of them are. Some cryptids have actually become documented animals. Make sure you go and follow the podcast on Instagram, at OutThereCryptids, and check out the posts I make for each episode, or maybe send some suggestions you'd like to hear. Today's cryptid is one that I said I would rarely talk about, but this case is absolutely worth it. A cryptid that is usually believed to be curious yet peaceful may have been the culprit of multiple murders. We are talking about the Nantinuk and the abandoned town of Port Lock, Alaska. There's no Weird Club segment today, just me. Let's dive in. I have to say that I was shocked when I heard about this case. I haven't gotten this excited about a case in a very long time, so I hope you will all enjoy this as much as I did. The town of Portlock is located on the southern tip of the Kenai Peninsula. The village was settled in 1787 when Captain Nathaniel Portlock of the Royal British Navy arrived in this beautiful area with space and abundance of fish. The odd thing is that when Captain Portlock and his crew arrived, they found a Native American village that was set up. However, when they started to look for signs of life, like boats and fires, they couldn't find anything. It was as if people had just disappeared. So perhaps this was for the same reason the town would become abandoned yet again, about 200 years later. What's interesting is that before Captain Portlock and the British founded the town, the Spanish tried to settle in this area. But when they got there, a lot of the men got sick. Seven of them were sick to the point where they died. They took this as some kind of warning, and so they left. Now, in the 1800s, the residents of this town were made up of mainly fishermen, lumbermen, and miners. Almost everyone was either of Russian descent Alaskan native descent, or a mix. But Portluck became popular in the 1900s when an American company became interested in the building a profitable commercial fishing fleet based there. So boats were brought in and a cannery was built. Then in 1921, a United States post office was built due to the rise of the town. However, only 30 years later, the town would go completely abandoned, all because of a murderous monster the Nantinuk, a giant, hairy, half-man, half-beast. September 21st, 1897. The Sacramento Daily Union newspaper contained an article with the headline, Alaskan Cannibals. According to the article, gold and chromite miners will see them on their way to the mines. The article starts with believe in monsters and dwell amid imaginary hordes of homed demons. Here are some excerpts of the piece. Along the coast of Alaska dwell some very queer aborigines, as the gold seekers flocking to the Klondike country will surely discover. They do the most of the freighting across the passes into the interior, carrying loads on their backs but their population during centuries has been so shut away from other tribes by gigantic ranges of snow-clad mountains that they have developed a peculiar culture and customs unknown anywhere else. 
these natives may be said to live largely in a world of imagination, inasmuch as their customs and inhabits living are based to a great extent upon ideas and beliefs wholly supernatural. Creation from their point of view is people by strange monsters and demons, which, while normally hostile to men, may be rendered friendly and even helpful with the aid of certain ceremonials of a quasi-religious character. To touch this strange monster, these natives believe its death. All the joints of the victim become dislocated, but specially favored individuals are enabled to perform wonderful feats by wearing a belt of its skin, while its eyes, used as slinging stones, will kill any animal, even whales. Another of these fabulous beings is a wild woman who lives in the woods. She has enormous breasts and carries a basket into which she puts children whom she steals for the purpose of eating. Cannibalism is very conspicuous in the myths current among these people. Quite a number of strange demons are worshipped as guardian spirits, among them a cannibal demon that lives on the mountains and is always engaged in the pursuit of human beings for his table. The smoke of his chimney is the color of blood, and he has a female slave who gets food for him by catching men and collecting corpses. In his house is a fabulous bird with an immensely long beak, which lives on the brains of persons whose skulls it fractures with its bill. Anybody who is so fortunate as to encounter the cannibal spirit may be transformed into a grizzly bear. On the other hand, if he can please the demon, he may obtain power to handle fire without being burned. Dr. Boaz has secured for the National Museum a large number of masks such as those worn by the Indians of the Alaskan coast in their ceremonials. Some of them are of enormous size and astonishingly grotesque. The article talks about a couple different demons or other spirits that the natives talked about or believed in. However, these parts are the ones that sound very similar to the Nantinuk. I think one of the more interesting parts is where the author talks about how these beasts are not hostile if they are respected, and that is something to keep in mind there. But having heard all of that, let's get into the timeline of the town's abandonment. Starting in 1905, apparently all the workers of the cannery, the place where the fish and other food was canned, left their jobs. They claimed that something was disturbing them while they were working and breaking things in the cannery when they weren't there. They did return back to work the next season, but said that all of those weird occurrences continued. And this is when the wave of fear started to take over the town. Now, you have to understand that this town is extremely remote, only accessible by boat or float plane. Most people in this town worked at this cannery. It was basically the only source of income in the area, so for people to quit means that something really must have been bothering them. The first death that was reported caused by the creature was in 1920. A man named Albert Petcock was out hunting in the woods around the town, but later that day his body was found outside of town near the lagoon. It appeared that he had been strangled and then mutilated. However, the locals would say that this was not the work of a bear. And then in 1931, a man named Andrew Cumluck's body was found. Cumluck was a timber harvester. His body was found with the back of his skull crushed in, seemingly by a single blow that seemed stronger than a human could manage. But no one knew for sure until 
12 years later, when a man emerged from the forest after being attacked by the beast. 1943. A man named John Meyer was at his campsite. While he was crouched down setting up, he felt something leap onto his back and start attacking him and hitting him. Instinctually, he went into a fetal position. His dogs are barking at him and whatever the creature was the entire time. Meyer was bleeding heavily, but just as fast as it started, the creature stopped. When he looked back, he could see an enormous, tall, hairy man that took off and ran away back deeper into the forest. Meyer knows he has to get back to town safely and to get medical help. So he stumbles into town. He is able to say what happened to him before he dies from the blood loss and the blunt force trauma. This was the first time the town knew that all of the stories they heard and what they had been seeing and feeling around them was real. And not only was it real, but it was killing people. But this wasn't the last death, nor was it the last sighting. Sometime after Meyer's attack, a group of hunters would experience something very odd. A group hunting a moose said while they were hunting, they saw these giant footprints that were 18 inches long. They followed the prince to a clearing where they came across a bloody battle site. It looked as if there was a struggle to the death between two very large animals, one most likely being the moose they were hunting. There was blood everywhere and hair and even parts of skin and flesh, but the giant prince kept going along the trail and up into the mountains. However, the men definitely did not want to follow them. At this point, there have been about 15 hunters that had gone missing with no explanation, and it is reported that bodies would just wash down the river into the lagoon or be found in the forest with strange wounds that were not that of a bear attack. And because of all this, the community was terrified and unsure of what to do, and so people began to leave, fleeing the town and never returning. The next documented disappearance wasn't until 1944. A miner named Port Graham went off to work and never returned. And then another man spotted the creature and may have made the biggest mistake yet. Tom Larson said he saw a huge hairy man destroying fish wheels along the beach. He went back to his house to get his gun. And when he returned, the creature was still there. He says, that the beast just stared at him and walked off. He allowed the monster to leave in peace. Now, I am not encouraging the killing of cryptids or any animals for that matter. However, had Larson taken that shot, maybe the town would still be a safe place to live. In 1949, the residents of the town evacuated practically overnight, leaving their houses and the nearby chromium mine, the cannery, the teacher cottage, and the large schoolhouse. Portluck became an abandoned town, and most people never want to return. The postmaster had to stay because the post office was still running. He said it was horrifying. He would see things walking in the tree lines and would hear horrible sounds. He was so eager to get out of there. And so after another year, the post office was shut down. And after that, the population went down to zero. 
Now, this isn't the end of the story, because in the 1970s, a couple fishermen got caught in a storm off the coast, and so they took refuge there. But they reported that something strange would occur. They saw a giant hairy beast walking on two feet in the tree line. It scared them so much that they apparently got back into their boats and braved the storm to get away from whatever they had just seen. Eight years after this sighting, a local from the neighboring town of Nonwela claimed to have seen the creature. She was fishing near the waterfall when she looked up and saw it. She said her legs started shaking and then her whole body. She started her boat and started driving away, but it began running and it was keeping up. She remembers the smell was so horrible. She said she was gagging and that she has never smelled anything like that. Another local claims that when she was eight or nine, she was running and something was grabbing at her legs. She was so scared because she claimed that she knew exactly what it was. Another resident had a more recent encounter. I was going up to the lake and I see these deep imprints. You know, it didn't have a paw. It had an actual foot. And then all of a sudden, I just felt this flick on my hat, and I instantly turned around, and there was Nantinuk. I was scared and, and freaked out. They look as big as a bear, but they stand like a human, anywhere between six and a half to eight feet tall, very human-like. They just have more hair. Discovery Plus has a TV series called Alaskan Killer Bigfoot. The show is about a group of locals from the town of Nonwalik, which still owns Portlock, that have been told by elders to go and see if Nantinuk is still there, and if they would be able to move back and rebuild the town. So this group is made up of fishermen, a cook, a survivalist, and a bear expert. Now, people came in and out a couple times, like a medium and a Bigfoot expert and a friend with his hunting dogs and another local sent by the elders to check progress. Now, Remember how the Spanish left because of the strange sickness? Well, oddly enough, four members of the Discovery Plus series got sick, and two to the point of throwing up. Some believe that Bigfoot has this sort of capability. Others believe it's just a bad omen. So, on the show, they live there for 40 days. They do get a lot of audio evidence of yells, whistles, tree knocks, and other common noises that are believed to be Bigfoot. They found a couple different footprints around that seemed to be around 10 to 18 inches long. All of the prints were fresh, meaning that whatever caused them was around the area soon after they found them. There was one experiment that they did where the survivalist was up in a hunting perch overnight. He was alone up there, just had his camera. While up there, he heard what sounded like a metal chain being dragged around. And then the noise was right under him. And then at the same time, very loud tree knocks coming from multiple locations around him. His camera was about to die, so he decided to get down and head back to camp. Terrified, he got down and started walking out of there, but became disoriented and started to panic. He then claimed to have heard a whisper right in his ear, and so he took off. At one point, they put a thermal drone up into the air at night and see a large creature moving around and it looks like it was moving right towards base camp. But then, all of a sudden, it just disappeared. They do find a black bear carcass with the jaw and ribs being the only things left. The meat looks like it has been cleaned off. 
could be that it was already decomposed and that that was all that was left. Or something was able to kill and eat an apex predator. Now, I have to say that it seems like the show is stretching for evidence, and sometimes might even be faking it. But what can't be denied is that these men do not feel comfortable there. And so, that is the story of the Nantinuk. So, let's get into some explanations. So, of course, it is entirely possible that these people were in fact attacked by bears. Grizzlies can be found in the area, some can even reach heights of 9 feet when standing on their back legs. It is also known that these bears don't kill their prey before eating it. They will tear off the arms and legs of their prey first to incapacitate them. So maybe these deaths were caused by a rogue bear. However, there is something that a podcaster named Brian Dunning found out when he produced an episode on this town. Apparently, there is only one singular death recorded in the papers from this town, and it was in 1920. The man died in an accident, but that was all that was talked about. No other reports of anyone else dying. Now, because this is back in the day in a remote part of Alaska, it's so possible that people from the town wouldn't report these deaths. But it is definitely interesting. But what he also wrote about was that he thinks that the disappearance of the town had nothing to do with Bigfoot. In the 1940s, a highway was built called Alaska Route 1. This allowed for a more efficient way to transport natural resources, meaning that ships were no longer needed, nor were they used as often, since there was now a more direct way. The town of Portlock was not built to have roads. In fact, there was only a single road that is unpaved in the six miles of the town. So maybe the people just decided to move on to bigger cities where they would be able to make a living and be able to drive around. I think the evidence for why this could be real is summed up in one question. Why would the elders lie about this? And I don't have an answer for that. However, I don't think they would. But I think this touches on a bigger issue with Bigfoot hunters and the Bigfoot hunting community. Here is my big problem and primarily why I don't cover a lot of cases about them. Experts, and I say that with air quotes, always claim to know things that have no evidence behind it. For example, experts claim that Bigfoot is also a supernatural creature and that it has the ability to cloak or disappear and reappear. In this show, one of the people says that they know Bigfoot draws energy from trees. However, we don't know that. To be frank, we don't really know anything for sure because they are still considered cryptids. You know, believed to be real but never proven? And I think that by claiming all of these facts, we further the skepticism since some of the claims are a little out there pun intended. I think we need to stay rooted in fact rather than all the possibilities of other things that we really have no evidence on. So, do I believe in Bigfoot? Absolutely. Do I believe that they are in every state of America? Probably not. Humans have been hunting this creature for many, many years now and we still have no physical proof. I think that it is a very intelligent species of ape-like descent that does not want to be found. And so, it will stay hidden until it wants to be found, or until it is trapped, which I don't think anyone should do. When it comes to this particular case, I am not sure what to think. On one hand, it does make sense that the creation of the highway system would make a less desirable town, but is it possible that some creature could have been punishing all these people for taking natural materials that didn't belong to them? Or... 
is that just all a myth? That's the reason why I think something really did happen in Portlock. So, what do you think? Is the Nantinok really out there? We are on Instagram, at OutThereCryptids, so make sure to follow us and tell us all of your thoughts on the cryptids we cover and what you'd like to hear next. It would mean a lot to us if you go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. It's a great way for others to find the podcast and enjoy, just like you. One month from today, I will be covering one of the most famous cryptids ever. A creature only spotted once with a large metallic body and an alien-like face. The Flatwoods Monster. See you next month. This episode is written and hosted by me, Josh, with logo design by Jason Sykes and theme music from purpleplanet.com.